This morning we're going to read Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. So if you'd find that in your Bibles, if you need a Bible, we do have a couple in the back, and we can get those to you if you want to raise your hand, or if you want to use your phone, that'll be fine too. And once you find Romans chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 7. Would you mind standing, if you can, if you're able, because what we want to do is we want to honor God's Word. If there's anything that we hear today, we want to hear God's Word. And so when we read God's Word together, we stand. Romans 1, and I'll read, we're going to read verses 1 through 7. It says this, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, if you remember last week, we were in verses 3 and 4. And in verses 3 and 4, Paul is, is talking about the Son, Jesus, the Son of God. And he talks about both his, his descendants from David, that he descended from David, which is a big deal on Palm Sunday, right? Because the king of Israel is coming in and they're worshiping the king who is descended from David. And then we also looked at the fact that Jesus is the Son of God in power, right? So he has a, both a, a human aspect and he has a, a godly aspect. He is both the Son of Man and the Son of God at the same time. And we talked about how for the very beginning of Christianity for hundreds of years, that argument took place about like how is God, how is Jesus both God and man? And it was a big deal. And so Paul lays that out. That's the foundation that he's going to ground everything in is the person of Jesus Christ. Like you need to know who Jesus is. Before you can get on to anything else, you have to trust and believe that Jesus was fully man and fully God. And how do we know that? We see it in the power of the resurrection. Like the Spirit testifies to it. We talked about the triune God, that God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit together, work together to, to bring God glory. And so the Spirit rose Christ from the dead. The same Spirit that now is promised that dwells inside of each of us as believers, that Spirit, powerful to raise Christ from the dead, is working transformation, moving us from death to life. That's the good news of the Gospel. And so we've anchored this sermon series in Romans 1, 16 and 17. And those verses read this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. That faith word is, is key, which is why it's used so many times there. We're going to see it again today. Obedience for faith. right? The obedience of faith. But before you, you start writing all the notes 
about what you should do and about how you should respond. Because we're definitely called to that today. We see that Paul is called to that. We see that we're called to that. But what is the reason for any of this? And we see it in verse 5. It says, for the sake of his name. We've already acknowledged that God is holy. We've sung songs about his holiness and his beauty. And, and holy means that he's perfect and other and unlike you and I. He's creator God. He's powerful. He's mighty to save. And what we see is that the sake of his name is not something that Paul is introducing in Romans. It's actually what all of Scripture, all of creation, all of history is about. The sake of the name of God. That He would be worshipped. That He would be made much of. And the beauty is that you and I have been invited into that today. We have been individually saved into this thing. And we get to contribute the praise and the glory of His majesty. Of His name. And so this morning, as we're thinking about this thing, as we're walking through the passage, and we're going to be particularly in verses 5-7, through as we're looking at this, remember that. Hold that in your heart and in your head and, and before you, that all of this is for the sake of the name of God, particularly His Son, Jesus. Amen? Let's pray and ask God to do what only He can do, to open our eyes, to give us ears to hear, so that we would be changed, transformed for His glory. Lord, we thank You. We thank you that we come humbly to your word. God, we come longing to see your face. Longing to know you. That our lives would be ones that would be concerning the Son. God, that our lives would be one that, that lives that would be proclaiming the goodness, the kindness, the steadfast love, the judgment, the justice, the wrath, the mercy of God. Lord, all of that is wrapped up into your name. You are holy. You are other. And you save. God, may we see that today. And as we see the grace of God being poured out in the sun, Lord, may we, may we respond with gratitude. God, may it overwhelm us into generosity with our lives. May we realize that we are not our own. We have been bought with a price. We have Jesus Christ, our Lord. May we live in that truth today. God, be with all those that are proclaiming your good news today. May you be lifted high in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We closed out with this really hard call last week at the end of verse 4, Jesus Christ our Lord. And in that we saw that Jesus was, was a human. He had a real human name, Jesus. And He was Christ. He was the Anointed One, the One who had been promised throughout all of Scripture to come and to save. And we also saw that He is Lord. We can't separate those two. Jesus is Savior and Jesus is Lord. And we saw that uh, so many times in Scripture, that is how the apostles would refer to Him. It would be Christ Jesus my Lord, or Christ Jesus our Lord, or Jesus Christ our Lord. So often, we want to separate those things, particularly in our culture. We want to say that Jesus is our Savior, but we fail to recognize Him as our Lord. Like he has How has He saved us? By His blood. And what did that blood purchase? It purchased our lives. Which means that we are His and He is ours. Like That's the beauty of this relationship that God has restored through His Son, Jesus. And so we rejoice in that. 
but it comes with some weight. And so out of that last piece in verse 4, we saw that Jesus was descended from David according to the flesh. He was declared to be the Son of God and the in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 5. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. We're going to spend the majority of our time in verse 5. And it's really good. Like we could probably spend the next couple weeks in verse 5. Like what does all this mean? What does it mean that... that He's brought us grace. We've received grace through Jesus Christ. Well, if you know anything about the Gospel, if you know anything about the promise of the the One who would come, if you know the Old Testament story about blood and sacrifice, you know that Jesus has come and He has been the sacrifice that you and I need because we could not do it. We needed a righteousness outside of ourselves. And we've, we've kind of looked at the overview of all of Romans and we see that that's, that's always been the story. Even, even the Jews and, and the Israelites were, were working and they were being obedient, but they were being obedient by faith. They were taking hold of what God had said was true and clinging to that. The same thing that you and I do today. We take hold of what God has said is true and we cling to it and we believe it and we have faith in it. And so their righteousness was purchased by their faith and our righteousness is given to us by our faith. And so we see that throughout all of history, we've come to God with a righteousness that we take hold of by faith. This righteousness is poured out for us through His Son, Jesus. This is the grace that you've received today. And we, we always want to begin and end. We never want to leave this place. Like, grace, the gospel is not the, the 101 class. It's not the beginner class and eventually you move on to these other things. No, we're going we're gonna to be there forever. And, and then when we get to heaven, we're going to rejoice in the gospel of God. We're going to make much of who Jesus is and what He has done. Because that's what we worship. That's, that's what all of this is about, is making His name great. Acknowledging who He is and what He's done forever, all of eternity. This grace that you and I have received, because what we'll do is we'll jump to the apostleship piece, or we'll jump to the obedience piece, or we'll even jump to the faith piece and and say, well, what do I have to do? No, we need to rest right now in the grace that Jesus has come and He paid a debt that you and I deserve. What we see in Romans is that all of us are sinners. All of us. We've all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. And so what did God do? God has come and He has given Himself because you and I could not do it. He gave Himself in the person of Jesus. We see that in Ephesians. Real clear, Ephesians 2. I'm going to read verses 1 and then jump to 4 and read through 9. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sin. He goes on to describe what that looks like. And so if you, if you don't believe that, if you're wrestling with that, I would say, hey, go and read 2, three, two and 3, and it explains it more. But we were dead in our sins and trespasses. Verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus 
so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Today, we stand, in, if we are in Christ, we stand in the grace of Christ. We've received the grace of Christ. He has purchased us by His blood. He, he died for us and He rose for us. And He seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And this is the immeasurable riches and kindness of God. That you and I did nothing. Like we were in our rebellion. We hated God. We wanted to live our own way. And God has rescued us and come and taken our heart of stone, which was against Him, and given us a heart of flesh. That is a miracle today. If you would have any inclination to move toward God, it's because He has done something in your heart. He has given, showered you with His grace. Man, that's good news. And so, in grace, can we continue to be patient and kind with with others and with ourselves? Like, as we move toward what what God is doing, if God's begun this work, He's faithful and just to complete the work in each one of us. And so we get to stand in grace, we get to walk in grace, we get to live in grace, and we get to share grace with one another. The grace that God has provided richly to us in His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So you stand in grace. We see that in verse 5. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations. Listen, Paul is writing here. Paul, who has been called to be an apostle, and we see it in verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. He has a unique call. He has a unique call as an apostle. He's seen the risen Lord. And so if you remember six, seven weeks ago, when we did our intro, we talked about who is Paul. He saw the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus. Saul, who had persecuted the church, became Paul, who loved the church, and now has devoted his whole life to it because of the grace that he's received in Jesus. Acts 26, 16 through 18 says, But rise and stand upon your feet. This is Jesus talking to Paul, and Paul's recounting it. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me, and to those in which I will appear to you. Delivering you from the people and from the, Gentile, and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul is going with this call this commissioning from God as an apostle. But before we say, well, Paul was an apostle and I'm not an apostle, so I don't have to do that. Like, what is the great commission? What are we all called to do? We are all called in Matthew 28, and Jesus came to them and telling the disciples, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So we have a responsibility. We have received grace, and then we're called to be proclaimers, to walk in faith, to believe that that grace is sufficient, and then to tell others about that grace that we've received. 
That's what discipleship is. It's, it's looking at our life and seeing the grace that God has poured into me and then speaking that to my neighbor, my family, my coworkers. Man, I, I didn't deserve any of this. But you see what, where we mess up and where we really need the mercy of God is where we, we don't speak that explicitly and people just assume that we're just good people. I pray that God would give us boldness. Boldness to say, no, I'm really a mess. Like, I'm really a mess. Anything that you would see in me is because of what Jesus has done. And He's kind, and He's patient, and He's moving me from death to life, from sin to righteousness, and He's doing all of this because His Son paid my debt. And His righteousness has been given to me for me to walk in. And so if you see any of that, it's Jesus. And I know that's hard, and it feels like, man, somebody just said, hey, nice job, and you come with like, two minutes of, of browbeating with the Bible. But the reality is that if we're not doing that, they're either going to try to mimic what we're doing and live in their own self-righteousness, or they're just going to be so overwhelmed with shame because they cannot do that. Just like you and I cannot walk in righteousness. We, we don't have a righteousness that is our own. We've been given the righteousness of Christ. And so we have to be explicit about that. We have to say, listen, and and maybe it's not the first conversation, but it's got to be a conversation that we get to where we say, man, God has done this thing in me. And He can do it in you too. Because otherwise, we're just going to let them do the very best they can to live a happy life. And we know where that ends. And so we have to be explicit about what God has done and how He has saved us. We have to make disciples. We have to be proclaimers. We have this grace that's been given to us and we are called to be disciples. We've received this grace and apostleship to bring about. What is, so what does that produce? Like what, what are we trying to produce there when we are sharing the gospel with people? Well, we're praying that God would produce the same thing in them that He's producing in us to bring about the obedience of faith. I think often we, we separate those two things and there's a reason that Paul has said it this way. Obedience of faith. We either think that obedience will lead to more faith or we, we, we separate faith and then say that faith is going to produce obedience. And I think that it will. But I think Paul's saying it this way because the two are the same. Like They have to go together. You have to have, if you have faith, then you will have obedience to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We see it in this quote from Martin Luther. He says, If you are saved by faith alone, but the faith we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. Right? We're saved by faith, but that faith produces obedience and sacrifice and love and generosity and all of the things, all of the work of the Spirit in us. So yes, we're saved by faith alone, but that, that will never be all that there is, there will be obedience. Tim Keller says, this is an obedience that comes from faith that springs from a wholehearted trust in Jesus, God's Son. Obedience flows out of faith. It is a consequence of saving faith, not a second condition for salvation. Obedience isn't what saves you. Faith in the Son saves you. But a true faith in the Son of God, that God seeing you in your sin, has given His Son for you, produces a gratitude in your heart 
that changes the way that you live. The grace of God produces a gratitude in us that leads us to live generously. This is true. Look at the people of God. Look at the people who have been affected by the grace of God and look at the way they live. They live selfless lives, obedient lives, passionate lives for Jesus. And I think that when he says obedience of faith, he's talking about the the faith that is the same as trust, that is the same as belief. And we, we begin to kind of parse those things, but, but true faith is a trust that what God has said is true. Not only what He has said is true, but what He has said per, pertaining to me is true. That I am saved, that I am no longer in my sin, but I have moved from death to life. That Ephesians 2 quote. That we were dead, but God has moved us and saved us and transformed us. And then we believe that that's true. And then we say, God, let me see that in my life. I, I want to see how you're transforming me. I want to see how you're changing me. I want to see the grace at work in my life. And then we're invited to walk in that. To walk in an obedience to everything that God says. All of the commands of God. And then it doesn't feel like this weight, right? It doesn't feel like this checklist that I have to do. It looks like, man, God, out of the, out of the grace that you've given me, I get to serve you. How can I serve you today? How can I love you today? How can I share your good news with others today? If you're not sharing the good news of Jesus, it's probably because you're not believing the good news of Jesus. If you believe that you were dead and now you're alive, because of the work of Jesus Christ, don't you think that that would be one of the first conversations in all of our hearts, in all of our households? And yet, I often come and give my kids law, (laughs) and I forget, listen, if they've been taken hold of by Jesus, they've moved from death to life, and I want to see the life of the Spirit in their lives, but I'm, instead I make demands, so I'm, I'm saying this as, as a people, right? We get to confess, God, I, I haven't believed. I haven't believed what your word says is true. I haven't believed that I was dead and that your son came and he purchased my, my life with his life and now I live in righteousness because of him today. I pray that we would be that people, that God would continue to work that deep trust, that deep belief, that deep faith that leads to obedience, that walks in obedience. Again, this is not just the, the, the very faith and belief in the gospel is not the entrance in and then we begin to work out our salvation with uh, good works. No, we continue to stand in faith believing that Jesus is producing these things in us and then walking in these things. I love the way Kent Hughes puts it. He says this, What would we be like if we saw ourselves as God-owned, our task as preaching the resurrected Christ, and everything in life as a matter of grace? I mean, that's what Paul's saying here. You've received grace. So everything in life is a matter of grace. You've, you've been called to apostleship, to discipleship. We've, we've been called to preach the resurrected Christ. And we are gods. We are owned 
by God. If we saw those things every day and like the, the decisions that we make were in light of that truth, we live differently. And praise God, it's happening. There are many of you here today that I, I, I can attest to. Like I've seen the work of Jesus in your lives. And praise God, He's so kind to us. He's so good to us. But I pray that that would be how we are shaped. This obedience of faith. Verse 6, we are called to belong to Jesus. This idea, I, I was thinking about this today. We, I think sometimes we think called is like a special word. But, but if we're called, that means that God spoke. And if you think about the story of Scripture, anytime God speaks, it's powerful. Right? How was the whole world, all of this that we see that's so beautiful, how was it created? God spoke. It was powerful. So, if God is powerful in His speaking and He's called you and He's called me, then what can we do that would stop Him? The effectiveness of His call. Nothing. Like God speaks and He calls us to Himself to belong to Jesus. And if He's called you to belong to Jesus, you, you, can't, you can't stop that. You can't escape that. This is the story of God. What is God doing? God is redeeming a people for Himself. Verse 6, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Again, it's a big deal because we've talked a lot about the context of the book of Romans. The book of Romans is written to uh, what we're going to see, all those who are loved by God and called to Him in Rome. But this church is made up, uh, it, it would appear, historians believe that it, it's mainly Gentile. It's mainly a Gentile church. So this idea that including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. This is a big deal. Gentiles are being grafted into the family of God. They're being called to Jesus. Jews and Gentiles. The, the power of God for salvation for the Jew first and the Gentile. This is what we're talking about in Romans. God calling His people to belong to Him. Today, if you belong to Jesus, there is no better place than where you are right now. You might say, well, you don't understand my circumstances. You don't understand the decisions that I have to make. I don't know what's going on. I, I feel lost. I feel depressed. I feel sad. If you belong to Jesus, there is no better place than to be His. And if He's called you, there is nothing that you can do. We, we read that in Romans 8. What can separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. So if we're called according to, to His purpose, then we rest there and we sit there and we say, God, who am I that You would love me, that You would shower me with Your grace, that You would call me? And then again, out of gratitude for this great grace that we've received, we go and we proclaim Verse 7 really gives an identity piece to you and to me today. I love this. 
If, again, if we, would, if we would ask certain questions and if we would believe certain truths, it's going to change the way that we live. It's going to change the way that we parent. It's going to change the way that we interact with everyone. But look at this identity piece in verse 7. To all those in Rome, now maybe that's not our identity piece, who are loved by God and called to be saints. Man. Loved by God. The Creator of the universe has loved His people in such a way that He gave His Son to die on the cross for their sins, a brutal, horrible death. And He gave His Son, He gave Himself so that you and I would be reconciled and made right with Him so that our sins would be atoned for, that they would be paid for. You are loved by God. That is powerful. Man, we think that I, I think that when I communicate with my children, one of the greatest things I can tell them is that I love them. And that is that is really beautiful and powerful. But I love them really poorly most of the time. Okay? God is working in me and He's changing me. But my love does not compare to the love of God. My love is weak. And God's love is strong. My love is, is conditional and His is unconditional. My love fails and His never fails. And so what's the greatest thing that I can give my children? You are loved by God. And I love you. <laughs> like, that's true too. But man, you need to know first and foremost, what's going to be the thing that compels you? What's going to be the thing that drives you? The fact that you are loved by God. Here's your homework this week. Think about the fact that you are loved by God. Read His Scripture. And as you read it, say, man, this is telling me again that I am loved by God. And It's not an individual thing. I mean, it is true that each one of us is individually loved by God. But it's also a corporate idea. Like, we are the church that has been purchased by the blood of Christ. And so we are loved by God if we are in Christ. And that's going to have ramifications and implications for the way that you treat those who are also loved by God. Like, this is going to change the way that you do everything. It is changing the way that we do everything. We are loved by God. This second piece, called to be saints. (laughs) I struggle with this. It's always hard. I look at my life and I do not see a saint. I look at my kids' lives. I look at my wife's life. She's close, but still not. Right? So we struggle, we wrestle with this. This idea that we are called to be saints. But we go right back to the beginning or, or, or a couple moments ago where we said, listen, if God has called, if He has spoken, then it's true. So you and I are called to be saints. We are called to stand in His righteousness. I love, again, Kent Hughes, he says, we are not called because we are saints, but we are saints because we are called. And as saints, we are set apart for holiness. Thus, we are in continuity with the saints of all the centuries and are in continuity and unity with each other. We are called to be saints. 
We are called to live differently. We are called to live holy lives, separate, different from the world around us. I think increasingly, it's going to have a cost that goes along with it. To live differently, to speak God's word, to believe that what he says is true, even when culture around us says, no, that's not true, that's, that's 2,000 years old, it, it doesn't have any pertinence today. And so we're going to stand upon God's word and we're going to say, listen, I've been called to be a saint, I've been called to live differently. And it's going to have a cost, but the beauty of it is that we belong to Jesus. And so even as we stand, we stand with Christ. We stand in Christ. We are His, and He is ours. And the greatest gift that you and I can receive is not people liking us. is not the adoration of the people around us. No, the greatest gift that you and I can receive is to be with Christ, to belong to Him, to rest in Him, to trust in Him. So we stand there, called to be saints. What is all of this for? Like, what are these truths for? That you and I have received grace. That we've been called to walk in the obedience of faith. That we belong to Jesus. That we are loved by God. That we are saints, separate, living holy lives. What is all of it for? All of it goes back to the end of verse 5. For the sake of His name. If God is doing this in any of us, and He is, and it's beautiful, and I'm so excited that we get to do this together. If He's doing any of this in us, it is for His name's sake, because He is beautiful. Because He is worthy. Because He deserves all of our praise, and all of our glory, and all of our worship. And so He is doing this. He's transforming a people for Himself. A pure bride a beautiful bride who walks in holiness and obedience and righteousness, the the bride of Christ, the church, you and I get to be part of that. Why? Because He's worthy of it. Because God, the Creator of the universe, is holy and beautiful and perfect. It's for the sake of His name. Okay, second homework assignment, if you get through the first one. Just do a, do a study this week for the sake of His name. Name's sake. Because what you'll find is that this is not, Paul, Paul is not introducing something new here. This is the story of Scripture. That all of what God is doing in history and throughout the world is for His glory, for His honor, for His praise. Let me give you a couple. 2 Chronicles 6, 32 and 33. Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a far country for the sake of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when he comes and prays toward this house, hear from heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your people Israel and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. The name of the Lord is worthy of praise. Psalms, man, the Psalms are full of the sake of the name of the Lord. I'll give you two. Psalm 25, 11, For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. 
We talked about this great grace and the salvation that we received. Why have we received it? So that God would be glorified. So that those who are saved would point to the Savior. We see in Revelation that we're, that's, that's what we're going to do. We're going to bow at His feet and say, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive honor and glory and power forever and ever. You and I get to be part of that. The, taking our greatest satisfaction in praising the Lord. Psalm 79.9 Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of Your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins for Your name's sake. The salvation that you and I have received today is not first and foremost for our sake. It is for God's sake, for God's name, that He would be glorified as the one who has saved a people for Himself. And it's for our sake. We take great joy in being saved by a God who saves. Continues, not only has Paul talked about this for the sake of God's name, but John talks about it in his first letter, John 2, 1 John 2.12, I am writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. Every week we come and we feel like, man, what is the application of the sermon? Like, what do I need to go out of here and do? And every week it's the same. Like, it's got nuance and there's a couple different things, but every week... We, we're called to repent, to believe, and to worship with our lives. Like, worship the God who saves. And so this morning, I pray that if anything, we've lifted up Christ and said, look at the God who saves. He is worthy of all praise and honor and glory. And that praise is going to affect the way that I live. I'm going to walk in obedience of faith. I'm going to proclaim His good news. Because God is a God who saves. So I pray that we see that. That even in a couple hours when we forget and we begin to kind of circle our lives and orient our lives around us, that we'd be called quickly to repentance and say, God, you are worthy. You are holy. Your name is great. I want to live in light of that great name and make much of it so that you would be worshipped now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you, Lord. We thank You that grace and peace have been given to us. We thank You that, that You have showered us with Your grace and with Your love. We thank You for Your steadfast loving kindness toward Your people. God, we thank You that Your name is great. That You are Savior. That You are mighty to save. God, that you are the lamb that was slain. That you have redeemed and purchased a people for yourself. God, may we remember that today. May we worship you with everything that we have, Lord. We thank you for, for mercy, Lord, for when we become the center of our own lives. and We thank you for your continued grace that would call us back to repentance to say, man, I, I've been thinking about myself. I've been living for myself instead of remembering that Christ Jesus, my Lord, has purchased me and that I am His and He is mine. Lord, thank You for making us into that people. I pray that this week we would remember that we are loved by God. 
That that love was not a cheap love, but it was a costly grace that's been given to us. It costs the Son of God His very life. Lord, may we remember that we've been atoned for and that we've been given the righteousness of Christ to walk in today. May we live lives that would worship You and honor You and magnify the name of the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.